Good morning. It's good to see you all. And grateful for those of you joining in the live stream. You can join me in opening your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's some within reach under seats nearby you. So 1 John, chapter 1. Um, I've been gone the past uh, two Sundays. Um, every once in a while through the year, I'd like to uh, just visit another church of a pastor friend in town. Um, and uh, just to be encouraged by them and to encourage them. So I try to stay connected with other pastors in the area, and it's always a joy to me to hear what's going on in their churches. And so uh, just to pass it along to you that I'm really encouraged by so much of what the Lord's doing in churches in our area. Um, so two weeks ago, we visited uh, Lebanon Bible Baptist Church. Friend Dan Strong is a preaching pastor there. And then last week, we went to Solid Word uh, Bible Church in the Indianapolis area. Um, Curtis Costin's pastor there. So, in fact, why don't we pray not only for our time here, but for, for those churches as well. Would you join me? Our Father, we thank you for your word, that we are not left to make things up. We don't want to make things up. We don't want to believe things because they make us feel good, but because they're true. And we know that truth ultimately is for our, our flourishing uh, because it's from you. And you're the source of all truth, goodness, and beauty. So we thank you that you've spoken, and you've spoken clearly, and your word has been preserved for us, and so we want to consider it this morning. We also pray for Lebanon Bible Baptist Church and Solid Word Bible Church this morning. We pray that you would speak to them through your word, that you would fill them as a church with your spirit as they sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and pour out their hearts to you in prayer and hear your word and fellowship with one another. And we pray that you would uh, fill those who are going to be preaching your word with your spirit uh, to speak clearly uh, and that you would do what only you can do through the preaching of your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at the turn of every year, we have a short sermon series. Uh, titled Rhythms of Renewal. So as we enter into 2021, we need the renewal that only God can give. We need this personally, starting in the depths of our heart. We need this in our relationships in our church. We need this in our communities, and our nation needs renewal. And if the Lord brings that, judging by how He's done it through history, that will often be an overflow of Christians who are renewed and speaking the good news of Jesus. So we need this so each year we focus on these rhythms or these habits or patterns of life that God uses to bring renewal to us. So last Sunday, we focused on God's Word. If you didn't hear that message uh, from God, Isaiah 55 through Taylor, I encourage you to go to the website and listen to that. This morning, our focus is on confession, the regular habit or rhythm of confessing our sins to God and to one another. Now, right when I say we're going to talk about confession, you may get the wrong idea. Um, one minute ago, I was getting up here, and Christina said, I'm really excited to hear uh, the word, and I think our boys are excited too. And I said, well, I'm going to say that you're worse person than you thought you were, but you're more loved than God than you ever could dare hope, right? So, um, if you're feeling like, oh no, this is going to be a downer, well, um, conviction is painful. But it's for the sake of healing and true joy. Confession and repentance is the path to deeper, fuller joy. Um, if you don't believe that, I want to show that to you from this text. So you may be thinking, this is going to be discouraging, but 
If you think confession is just a gloomy focus on sin, um, then you, you uh, have good news this morning uh, because you don't yet understand what confession is and opening up before you might be a pathway to renewed joy. Or maybe what comes to your mind is a dusty confessional booth. That's not at all in the Bible. It's, this is not about a conversation with a priest. It's a life-renewing experience with God through Jesus, our great high priest. Or maybe you get the impression that confession of sin is really anti-grace. Uh, some think that uh, to focus on sin and confession puts our attention on ourselves rather than Christ. Um, but that's not true. Confession is how we bring our real selves to Christ, the real Christ. It's how we experience His grace more fully. So confession is the pathway for sinners like us, Christian sinners like us. It's the pathway that we travel to know Christ. So, real confession is not gloomy, self-focused, or anti-gospel. It's the opposite. It is the pathway toward joyful, Christ-focused, gospel-saturated living. And so, the phrase we're going to use to consider this comes from our text that we'll read in a moment in 1 John 1. The phrase is this, walking in the light. At the heart of what it means to walk in the light is to live a life of honest confession. Confession is one of the most important and yet neglected Christian practices. And yet I want to show you from this text that we're about to read here that it's essential. It's an essential part of a true relationship with God. It's an essential part of authentic relationships with other people as well. And so this is, this is what we need. This is what churches need. This is what we all need. This is what our nation needs. Our nation, as we prayed, is in a bad place right now. And one of the reasons we're here is because of a failure to walk in the light, to walk in the light of humility and honesty with God and with one another. And so when we fail to do this, when we ignore or deny sin in our life and just push it to the shadows in our heart, then what happens is our lives are filled with not only are we lying to ourselves, but then we're, we're putting a false picture of ourselves out there. So our, our life becomes deceptive. We then can fill our lives with self-justification, uh, a sense of moral superiority and self-righteousness to compensate for the failures that we are trying to deal with in our soul. Um, and we do this rather than, we blame shift, we do this rather than open, humble, gentle ownership of our sin that sets a tone of gentleness and peace. And so let me say at the outset here, if after today you want to grow in this topic more, um, I have a great book to commend to you. It's by John Stott. If you've never read anything by John Stott, just get online and say any book by John Stott and press order. Um, but this one is called Confess Your Sins. Um, I'll send a link in our midweek email. We'll have copies next Sunday. They just didn't arrive by this morning. I was hoping they would. Um, but here's what he said. Many of us are not prospering in our Christian lives. We are making little or no progress. We've got stuck and do not appear to in, be enjoying the mercy of God. Is the reason, partly or wholly, that we have neglected the plain teaching of Scripture about the secret confession of our sin to God? 
So let's now read from God's Word, 1 John 1. We're going to be reading verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to focus our attention on verse 7. But in order to understand 7, we have to read and understand the rest of this. So verse 5. This is the message that we've heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie, do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, so there's the word confess, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. My little children, and he says this now just to be clear, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But now here's the focus. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So let's read, oh, we just read, so let's consider the message of this text now and consider this more closely. Uh, here's the message of this text. Real Christianity I say real Christianity because that's really what John's talking about here. He is contrasting a false version of Christianity and real Christianity. He is, he's concerned about people professing to be believers who will actually functionally or theologically adopt a, a version of Christianity that's not actually real. So here's the message. Real Christianity is marked by honest confession. We could say ongoing, honest confession, which leads to honest relationships with God and one another. We want to experience that together. So we want to experience true fellowship with God, true fellowship with one another. The name of our church is Zionsville Fellowship. In order to make good on that aspirational claim that we're a fellowship, this is the path. Honesty. Walking in the light together. It's a path of joy. So we'll answer three important questions about walking in the light. What does it mean? What does it result in? And how do we do it? So what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. Walking in the light here. You notice that phrase, verse 7. That's what we're focusing on here. Walking in the light. It, here's what it doesn't mean. Walking in the light does not here, when John says it right here, it does not refer to moral obedience. Now, that's what might have come to your mind when you hear this phrase, walking in the light. I thought that's what it meant for years. Uh, I thought walking in the light meant walking in obedience to God. So when John says walking in the light as he is in the light, I would hear in my mind, pursue moral perfection as God is morally perfect. So strive toward this, right? And if you're walking in darkness, it's because you have sinned. So get out of the darkness and get obedience again. And obedience is walking in the light. Now, walking with, with the Lord in obedience is important. 
John cares about this deeply in the letter. In fact, to be clear, John says in this letter over and over and over again that our obedience to God is part of the evidence that we're actually Christians. If you are not walking in obedience to God, you cannot have assurance that you're a believer because obedience is the fruit of the Spirit. If God has, if we're really trusting in Christ, we have a new heart and it shows itself in obedience. Not perfect overnight, but progression over a lifetime, real obedience. Now, I just want to say that to be crystal clear. But right here, that's not what John is mainly referring to. Walking in the light here is about living in honesty about our moral failures. It's about being honest with God and one another about our failure to obey at times. Walking in the light is not about being perfect. It's about admitting that we're not Walking in the light is about being open and honest about our sins and confessing them. Now, I want to show you that from the text. So here's the key to understanding the phrase walking in the light here in verse 7. It's to read it in context. This is what happened when I realized uh, what this meant a while back, and it changed the way I view this text from that point on um, to understand it more clearly. So here's the key to understanding what's going on here. John is giving a contrast as I mentioned, between a false version of Christianity and a real Christianity. It's a a contrast between these two. And he's saying, here's a false version of Christianity. Here's a real, here's real Christianity. So if you look down at your text, here's what we see. We see the contrast three times. That he gives it in verses six and seven the first time, and then in verses eight and nine, and then verse 10 to two, one. So look at how each of those even-numbered verses begins, right? Six, eight, and ten. They begin the same way, same way, right? They begin, if we say. So what John's doing is he's gathering up some kind of claim about the Christian life. And he's saying, if we say this, and then he says, that's false, it's a lie, we're deceiving ourselves, right? Not true. And then the next verse, the odd-numbered, he says, now here's the gospel alternative. Here's real Christianity, Um, in contrast to that. So let's consider this contrast here. He's repeating himself. So what's the contrast about? Well, look at the first contrast here in verses 6 and 7. If we say, here's the false claim, if we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. Now here's the gospel alternative. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the contrast here is between walking in darkness and walking in the light. And then he makes the contrast again. So what does it mean to walk in darkness or walk in light? Well, here's the contrast. Now, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So walking in darkness is what? It's saying we have no sin. And we're deceiving ourselves. So here's the contrast. Here's the gospel alternative. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So the contrast here is not between obeying and disobeying. The contrast is between denying our sin or confessing our sin. The contrast is between hiding in the dark. That's what the darkness is about. It's the place of hiding versus coming out into the light of honesty. And he gives the same contrast again in verses 10 through 2 to 1. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's what walking in darkness is. 
We say we've not sinned. It's claiming to have no sin in your life. And the contrast is walking in the light. Verse 2, 1. My little children, again, he gives this point to be clear. I am writing these things so that you may not sin. In other words, don't get the wrong idea. We're not pursuing sin here. But we are being honest about reality because it's there. So he says, I'm writing things so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So this is about what to do as Christians with our sin. We come out of hiding because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So here's what it looks like to walk in the light in two words. Honest confession. Walking in darkness, then, in contrast to that, is either ignoring or denying our sin. So you can either theologically deny this and say we don't have a sin nature, or maybe as Christians we don't sin anymore. It's been all sorts of people throughout church history that have tried to proclaim that kind of thing. That's one way to have a false version of Christianity. The other way is functional, to just functionally deny sin. You go through your weeks totally unaware of the darkness in your heart, the sin in your heart, in the way that you are selfish and uh, self-serving in relationships, and you project a version of yourself that isn't real. But walking in the light, in contrast, is being honest about the real you. Not the you that you wish you were, not the you that you hope you are, but the real you, and being honest about that with yourself, with God, and with others. So walking in the light is, is living. This image of walking, right? This, is a, this isn't a point in time. It's step after step after step. So moment by moment, right? Not just a one-time thing when you become a Christian. This is a moment by moment openness, an honesty about our moral failure and our weakness, and our sins with the Lord and with others. So that's the answer to the first question. What does this mean? honest confession, walking in the light. Second question, what does it result in? What does this lead to? There's three results here um, in verse 7. One is implied, the first one, and then the two are explicit. Here are the results of walking in the light. So first is implied is this, we have fellowship with God, right? You see that actually in verse 6. Just kind of back up to the contrast here. If we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, right? So this is saying you cannot walk in darkness and know God. If you walk in darkness and you say you know God, not true. You can say that all you want, but you do not know God. God is found, verse 7, in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, that's where God is. He's in the place of where, where we find, find him when we're honest about who we are. We bring our real self to him, not a false version of ourself that doesn't need him. We bring our real self to him. And so the way to know God is through walking in the light. It's coming out of hiding. hiding. It's acknowledging and confessing our sin. It's what we see in verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. Now here's the good news in light of this. If you feel distant from God, have you felt that way recently? you felt that way for a long time? If you feel distant with God, right now, perhaps the fundamental reason has been identified for you, which means now you know 
how to have a restored relationship with him. In Psalm 32, King David, who knew his God, had a period of hiding, walking in darkness, where he committed sin. And in verse 30, or chapter 32 of Psalms, he said, when I kept silent, he's talking about his sin, when I kept silent about my sin, I covered it over, pushed it aside, going through life, King David that I am. But when I pushed this aside and covered it over, he said this, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand, God, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Have you felt that way? That this pushing sin aside and making it a secret, it just churns inside of us and messes with us psychologically, right? This bones wasting away. And that's the Lord even for David here, pressing on him with conviction. And it was actually loving of the Lord to do that so that he would come out of hiding. So he said he uncovered his sin to the Lord and then the Lord covered it. So in other words, we've got two options with sin, right? We can either cover it over and then we're like David, groaning, churning inside, living in this deceptive life, claiming we have fellowship and we don't. Or we can uncover it and the Lord will cover it in mercy. And get rid of it. And so David begins this psalm celebrating, blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven, whose sin is covered by the Lord. So if you feel distant from God, if you feel like you've been lacking an enjoyment of God and his mercy, if the songs we sung this morning, just the, the words just didn't resonate with you, um, then maybe, it, it may be because you have not been walking in the light of honesty before the Lord. If you feel distant from God, that may be what's going on. Maybe you're a mess inside. Maybe there has been something you have done that has made a mess of your life, or you see that things are set in motion to unravel your life. If that's true, then the answer is not to hide it, to try to cover it over, to try to compensate with goodness, to feel bad about it, to just try to become a better person. No, the, the first step is to confess it, to bring it out into the open before the Lord, starting with Him. Come out of hiding and be honest with him. Sin itself hinders our fellowship with God, but confession restores the break. So if we want to compound sin with sin, then we sin and we hide it. But the way to come back into fellowship with the Lord is to bring it out before him. Second result of confession, walking in the light, is fellowship with one another. Verse 7, now we get explicit. If we walk in the light... As he is in the light, here's the result. We have fellowship with one another. So honesty about our moral failure is what opens the way to real relationships and fellowship with one another. It's the pathway to true friendship. It is how we fulfill our aspirational name, Zionsville Fellowship. How do we have fellowship with one another? Well, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So, how does walking in the light create true community? Two ways. First, there's more than this, two. One, walking in the light means that we can be truly known. Right? If you walk in darkness, what you're doing is you're hiding part of yourself. You're then busy projecting a false version of yourself to others. And that means that as you hide part of yourself and project a false version of yourself, then the you that people get to know is not the full true you, right? Which means that as you feel known and feel appreciated and feel valuable and think things are going along okay, then you also have this deep 
feeling that sometimes surfaces in your mind that you're not actually known and you know it. The you that people know isn't the real you, so now actually all the community that you've been building, you feel lonely in. Because you're not really known and loved. Because you haven't let people know you to love you. And you're also, another way this hinders true fellowship is you're uh, preoccupied with yourself. With covering, with trying to be someone you're not, with trying to compensate. And you're so preoccupied with yourself and projecting an image of yourself that you're not actually loving people really well. (laughs) And focused on them and caring for them and creating an environment for them to come into the light to receive grace and mercy. Here's another way. Walking in the light creates true fellowship. It sets a whole new tone that fosters true friendship. You can tell when you are with someone who walks in the light, can't you? They may not confess any particular sin to you because maybe they haven't offended you and you don't need to confess every sin to everyone. They may not confess anything to you, but you can tell that they are walking in the light because there is a tone of humility. They are the kind of person who is walking in honesty with the Lord and with others. They're not trying to project a perfect version of themselves to you. They're gentle and patient because they are moment by moment receiving the gentleness and patience of the Lord in them for all their failings. God's been patient with them. So that's, a, that's the second result of walking in the light. There's true friendship, true community. Here's the third result of walking in the light. We experience ongoing forgiveness from the Lord. Last part of verse 7. If we walk in the light... Here's the second result now. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You can see it repeated again in a different way in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So this is, it's not only the result of walking in the light, it actually is the motivation, right? This is what gives us the confidence that we can walk in the light because we know that if we step out into the light, we are not going to get burned by it. It's, it's a warm, welcoming presence from the Lord. God has made it safe for us through the blood of Jesus. Jesus has died for our sins in our place, taking the condemnation we deserve so that when we confess our sins and appeal to the blood of Jesus, It means that we don't receive condemnation. He took it for us. Instead, we receive forgiveness and welcome. Now, we fear the light because we feel like it's not safe to be honest with who we are. But the blood of Jesus is what makes it safe because it tells us that the sins that we bring out, no matter how rotten, no matter how damaging, no matter matter how long we've even kept them in hiding, we bring those out to the Lord with honest confession. Not cheap, flippant confession, but honest confession. Just real. God, I'm sorry. I hate that I did this. But I'm going to be honest before you. We bring that out to him. They're covered with grace. When we uncover our sins before God, he covers them in grace. So we walk in the light by holding out our sins to him in confession. And then he says, in essence, Jesus died for those. I'm not going to hold them against you. You're forgiven. I love you. And uh, just a kind of a side note here. Um, and if you want to talk about this more, happy to, to dialogue. Um, when we become a Christian, when you first do this, 
you are irrevocably adopted into God's family. Uh, You are justified, declared righteous. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven. But we misunderstand that if we think that means there's also not an ongoing application of Jesus' blood to our life. There's not an ongoing application of forgiveness, fresh forgiveness for fresh sin. So, I mean, some people have thought, well, confession doesn't have a place in the Christian life because we're already forgiven, right? Uh, If we're already forgiven, then we don't confess to get forgiven, right? And I think there's a misunderstanding here because think about any relationship we're in. If if you're married or you're a parent, uh, if you're a child, think of it this way, you are in a family irrevocably. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are accepted. Now, when you sin, do you get kicked out of the family? No. Uh, Are you no longer a son or daughter? No. You are in the family, and you are loved. And that's actually what gives you the security that you can bring that out into the open, whatever you've done. But there's there's a, a hindrance in the relationship when you do that, and you need forgiveness. Same with a marriage. You don't become unmarried if you sin against one another. And so, we are forgiven when we become Christians, but there is an ongoing application of the blood of Jesus to our lives. So, when we sin, we aren't somehow unjustified. We aren't somehow out of God's um, kingdom and that we have to kind of re-enter. We are in God's kingdom, but the assumption, those who are His people are those who, when they sin, they confess it and receive fresh forgiveness. Um, The the Christians of the… you know, 1600s, 1700s did a great job understanding this and talking about this. I think we've just lost this today, this idea of an, an ongoing um, application of the cross. And First John actually is a great place to go for this because you see what he said in chapter 2, verse 1? If we, if we sin or when we sin, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus, his cross and resurrection happen for our justification, our forgiveness, but then he goes to be our intercessor and our advocate, ongoing, moment by moment, to apply his work to our life. And so we come with full confidence that he will, no doubt. We come confidently, Father, I have done it again, but Jesus is my advocate, and he died for me, so will you forgive me? And as we ask, we know he will. It's ongoing. It's applied. End side note, happy to talk further. But this is how confession, this is why confession leads to not gloomy people, but joyful people. Because when we hide our sins, it creates all sorts of psychological damage trying to cover it up and hide and compensate. But when we confess, we find healing. We find grace. We find relief. We find forgiveness. So Christianity takes sin seriously, but it also takes the joy of forgiveness seriously. One of my favorite authors is Jack Miller, and he used to say this, cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you dared imagine, and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. So don't think that taking confession seriously minimizes grace. It magnifies grace. It is how we experience grace. The more seriously we take our sin, the more seriously we take the gospel. Final question, How do we do this really practically? How do we walk in the light? First, I think I have maybe five notes here. One, be honest about yourself with yourself. That's the first step. 
I'm grateful for how many people are recognizing, it seems in our day, the importance of self-awareness. I've needed to grow. I still need to grow in self-awareness. Who am I? Why do I do what I do? Why do I think how I think? What is my kind of style of leadership? And these personality tests, like super helpful. But one danger is that we begin to explain everything about us as just a personality difference or quirk, right? That we see issues that we have in relationships. Well, that's, just, that's a style I have. That's kind of this personality thing I have. Um, but John is saying multiple times here, uh, let's not live as though we don't actually have sin. If we say we don't have sin, we deceive ourselves. So part of self-awareness and not deceiving ourselves is being aware not just of kind of strengths and personality, but of the real sin that we have that affects things and distorts our personality and makes our expression of who we are super unhealthy around us. So here's how John Stott put it in the book I mentioned, Confess Your Sins. The real reason we tend to cover our sins before God is that we want to conceal them even from ourselves. Does that ring true? He said, we cannot bear the humiliation of seeing and facing ourselves as we really are. I think that's true. And this is why the gospel is so important, because the gospel is what makes it safe for even ourselves to be honest with ourselves. With no fear, we can just admit reality because we are in an atmosphere of grace. As we uncover it, the Lord forgives it. And so God's grace reaches deeper than our deepest sin. So let's just be honest with ourselves to ourselves. Second, confess your sins to God. John says, walk in the light as he is in the light. The light is where God is. So he's inviting us to a, into a restored, open, honest relationship with him. God is inviting us to enjoy him and his grace with a clean conscience. And we don't need to wait till we feel better to come. We don't need to wait. If we, if we do a sin, we don't need to wait until, you know, we've kind of put it behind us and gotten better um, had some personal moral renovation. No, we just come to God even the millisecond after we do it. And very practically, what does this look like? It looks like turning your heart to God and saying to Him, God, this is what I did. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And when you confess your sin, He is faithful to do it. He is glad to do it. So I would encourage you, you know, whenever you are aware of your sin, to confess it to the Lord. Let's, let's think about bridging the gap between the amount of times we sin and the amount of times we confess, right? They should match, right? Uh, so if you haven't confessed sin to the Lord this week, is it because you haven't sinned or because you're not doing the gospel, the gospel path after the sin? You're not following that path of confessing it to the Lord or you're not aware of your sin, um, I encourage you to end your day thinking back over your day and just think, Lord, help me by your spirit. Is there something that I've done here that I've even missed or pushed aside that I need to bring before you and receive fresh mercy? Um, we do that as a family sometimes. Hey, is there any way that you, is there something you need to confess to one another here, right? Or confess to the Lord. Um, so end your day doing that. Third, so be honest with yourself, confess to the Lord. Third, confess your sins to those you sin against. Walking in the light means that when we hurt someone, we acknowledge it and we ask for forgiveness. If we make excuses, man, I'm tempted to do that. 
I'm tempted to even couch my apology with all sorts of excuses. If we make excuses, if we blame shift, if we just ignore sin and move on, we are walking in darkness. We are saying, I don't really have sin that needs to be dealt with here. My relationships can be just fine with me ignoring, excusing, or blame shifting here. But what does this really look like to walk in the light? Well, this is not complicated, right? The reason why we may not confess to people isn't because it's hard. This is super, super simple. Really basic reality 101. It's not complicated, but it is hard. Because it's essentially this, right? You simply step into the light and you say to someone just what you said to the Lord. I am sorry that I did this. I, it was wrong. Will you forgive me? Saying those words, I am sorry that I did this. You name the sin. It was wrong. Own it for what it was. And say, will you forgive me? Uh, That's not complicated. The hard part is humbling your heart to do it. And we need this in all of our relationships. If you have sinned against a friend, step into the light and acknowledge it, even if it was five years ago. Maybe the Spirit's bringing that to mind even right now. Write it down and go do that. If you have sinned against a coworker, confess that, or to a boss or an employee, ask for forgiveness. If you have been harsh or abusive, in your close relationships or in a marriage. Confess that and seek reconciliation. Spouses, maybe you have years of living together without ever actually doing this, right? You wrong each other and you just have your own habits of dealing with it. You kind of don't bring it up or you kind of get distance for a few hours and then when the next person just says something nice, that's how we know things are okay. Or maybe, you know, your way is like, oh, I'm just gonna, here's a flower, right? Or, um, uh, or you, you just, someone says, I, you know, you give the excuse. You say, I'm sorry, I just, I, you know, I didn't get much sleep last night. And then rather than saying, I forgive you, say, well, it's okay. Right? It's not really a big deal. Don't worry about it. Right? So you're basically both saying, nothing's really a big deal here. Hey, you know that thing that I did that's not a big deal? Just kind of saying something about it. Oh, yeah, not a really big deal. Thanks for saying something, but don't worry about it. Right? You just like, no, like, confession actually is something. It actually has words to it. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. Like there, there's actually like this transactional moment that happens where, where an apology is made and forgiveness is offered. So if you have a habit, maybe like you're decades in to hardly ever doing that, I encourage you to just start. Just start saying, even if it feels weird because it feels mechanical, like use words um, and do this. Um, moms and dads, you are to be lead confessors of your home. You are not just to raise your children to obey the Lord and apologize when they fail. You are to model both obedience and what to do when you fail. Um, A friend of mine or acquaintance of mine uh, lost his father last week. And uh, he shared a number of very meaningful reflections online. He actually lost both of his parents last week. Um, Complications with um, COVID, I believe, um, and, and some other sickness that was mixed with that. He loved his father deeply. You could tell they had such a good relationship, such a close relationship. So there's probably so much to share about that man and what a blessing he was to his son. But listen to this reflection of his that he shared. One thing my father did that continues to have a profound impact upon me. Throughout the entirety of my growing up years, 
from elementary kid to high schooler. If my father realized he had sinned against me, he would come to me and say something like, son, I was wrong to do or say this, right? And on the post, he put a blank there because it was said, like, this is what I did. So he said, son, I was wrong to do blank. Would you please forgive me for sinning against you? And then this is what this man said as a reflection of that. If I could possibly identify one thing that has impacted me most, that's it. Men, if you want to have a gospel impact on your son and daughter, if you want to have a legacy with them that matters, you want your son or daughter saying this when you pass. If I could think of the one thing that impacted me most, it's that my dad came to me and frankly, without excuse, he came to me directly and he said, son, I am sorry that I did this. Will you forgive me for sinning against you? And this man doesn't share that as like, man, my dad was so preoccupied with sin. He was such a gloomy Christian. He was so self-centered. All this sin stuff and not Jesus stuff. Are you kidding? That is why they had such a great relationship. Because that man knew the gospel. He knew the love of Christ, which gave him the freedom to just walk in the light without being afraid. And the son learned that and how to do it. And kids, you could help your parents do this. I remember uh, one time, you know, I, I think I was angry and harsh uh, with Christina or one of the sons and went into the front room and was sitting next to one of my other sons and he said to me, or I'm wondering which one, he said to me, Dad, um, I think you should, do you think you should probably apologize for that? <laughs> I wasn't planning on it, right? I wasn't thinking about it. Just, and I thought, yes, I should. And so I went and did it. And I'm so grateful. So kids, you can, you can help your parents. And, and parents, if you, if you feel like your kids don't have that freedom, you let them know. You can tell me when I fail. You can tell me when I say, I need you to help me. And kids, you can model it. I have learned from my sons what it means to even come out into the light after hiding and be honest. Okay, last thing. Okay, no, two more. Real quick, though. Um, walk in open honesty with another trusted brother or sister in Christ. We do not need, to, you know, don't misunderstand, we do not need to come up here and take turns on a Sunday morning and confess all of our sins to all the people in the room. Uh, this is not getting on Facebook and listing your top 10 sins of the day. Uh, this walking in the light does mean, though, at minimum, that at least some people know the real us, right? That we are just being honest about who we are and how we are with some people. We let the light shine in the darkest parts of us. So do you have yet at least one person, one person, uh, one person who knows the real you? Uh, and it's not someone that you connect with once a year. I'm talking about one person who knows the real you in an ongoing way. Um, who knows your struggles with sin. Not some of them, but all of them, the hardest ones. I have a friend that I meet with every other week, and we walk in the light together like this. Uh, we share the deepest struggles that each of us has. We know one another's mess. Uh, so I encourage you to walk in the light. 
And then final, finally, let's contribute here as a church. Contribute to a culture where it is safe uh, to walk in the light together. Here's what I mean. In order for people to walk in the light together, they have to know they won't be shamed and they will not be gossiped about. Uh, not every community is safe to be honest in, right? Uh, but churches are to be the safest places on the planet to be honest. And we can be these places because of the gospel. The gospel creates safety for sinners to be honest. The gospel is, this is God's warm welcome to sinners and strugglers through Jesus. We believe that there is grace for all our sins and that God loves to give it. And so we receive that grace and we extend that to one another. We receive it as we confess sin to the Lord. We extend it to others as they confess sin to us. Now, I know that some of you maybe have not experienced what I am talking about among Christians. Maybe you have had a church background that was filled with darkness and covering and shame and gossip. And you've experienced the opposite of what we're talking about. Instead of gospel safety, you experience gossip, gossip uh, spreading I know others of you, though, have experienced this, and it has brought incredible healing to your life to be known and to know and to receive and enjoy the love of Christ. So right now, let's experience this by the Spirit's power moving forward all the more as a church. Let's lean into the light together. This is the path of joy. And if you have never come into the light, maybe you are realizing this morning, you have never stepped into the light where the Lord is. He welcomes you to do that right now. So we'll have a few moments of silent confession. Um, if there's anything unconfessed you can think of in your life, bring that to him. We did that this morning already. Maybe there's something else. Um, just give freedom to do that. If there's not, then just celebrate his grace. Thank him for grace. And let's pray then for one another to, to be this community, uh, walking in the light together. And if you've never stepped in the light, um, you can do that. You come to the Lord and you say, God, I am sorry for my sin. Here are things I've done that are wrong. Would you please forgive me through the blood of Jesus? And he is happy to do that. Um, and if you have a Christian friend, I encourage you to tell them or ask them to walk with you in this process. I'd be happy to walk through that process even with you this morning. Um, so let's pray together and then we'll sing and celebrate God's grace. Let's pray silently for a moment. Our Father, we want to walk in the light. We pray that you, the God who welcomes us to do this, would lead us by your Spirit to do it. We pray that we would not sin against you. But if we do, we pray that we would know that you have put forward Jesus as our advocate and that you offer ongoing, fresh forgiveness, moment by moment, for our sin. And we pray that you would do what only you can do in our church community. We pray this for other churches in our area and our nation. We pray that revival and renewal will come as a spilling out and over from local churches that display to the world what it looks like to be honest and open and gentle with one another because of Jesus. Amen.